This episode is sponsored by National Treasures Artists in Residence. National Treasures funds artist participation in artists in residence programs during their twilight years. They also forge mentorships so that expertise honed over years will be passed along one-on-one to a younger generation of artists and memorialized in a digital library. Visit nationaltreasuresair.org. On this episode, we have Jacqueline Cedar. Jacqueline earned her BFA from UCLA and her MFA from Columbia University. Through her paintings, drawings, and sculptures, Jacqueline celebrates her interest in mannered human gestures, interpersonal interactions, and the motivations that may be driving them using economical choices of expression in terms of form and color palette. Jacqueline, I'd love to start out with, what's your first memory of painting? Oh, that's such a great question. Um, It's funny because I work with a lot of young artists who self-identify as artists, but I did not until maybe middle or high school. And so my memories are a little bit later than I feel like for most artists. But um, I, I mean, I have memories definitely at like probably 12 or 13 of just starting to explore how to paint what I saw and really investigating um, this act of looking and observing and using, um, yeah, using that kind of hand-eye coordination just to investigate looking. Um, But the, like, I feel like the pleasure of paint came more in high school when I started working with oil painting and really um, thinking about how materials move. And um, yeah, I could experiment a little bit more that way. (laughs) So when you started at 12 or 13, what were the subjects you were drawing? Oh, um, you know, I, I probably a lot of, always a lot of people. I was always kind of fascinated by drawing from um, human interactions. Um, some landscapes I remember just as a way of kind of practicing working with material. And um, yeah, but there was always kind of like a deep interest in how, in gesture and how people move. Yeah. So in some ways, drawing or painting is a way to explore human interaction or human gesture. Yeah, I um, yeah, I mean, you know, my father's an actor, and so we spent a lot of time watching theater and even doing some performing of our own, and, um, and I loved dance, and um, yeah, any sort of mannered way of behaving and exaggerating qualities that I always felt were kind of happening under the surface in a less dramatic way. Um, yeah, so the kind of psychological play between people was always at the forefront of things I was thinking about. Let's talk more about growing up in an artistic household. So your father's an actor. You also mentioned your mom and your sister were also in film. Right, yeah. So, um, so yeah, my sister works in film. She builds props and sets, and she also writes and directs. And um, my mom um, doesn't work professionally in the arts, but she's always, like, from when I was little, like, quilted and made dolls. And we had um, a home full of objects and, um, and full of activities. <laughs> and there was just, like, a lot of making happening all the time and, um, and still is. And yeah, my father has like been a working actor for as long as I've been alive and before then. And uh, yeah, I feel like we're a, a household filled with curious people and we like to investigate material and ideas. And so there's um, a lot of conversation always taking place and um, thinking about what we, what we want to see and trying to make those things happen. And I feel luckily very connected to a lot of their aesthetics and the way they like to make so um 
yeah, I'm so thrilled to be able to collaborate with them as much as possible. <laughs> so you started out at UCLA thinking you would be a physician. Oh yeah. So, okay. I always was an art major because in high school I knew I wanted to study art, but I, I was interested in investigating other ideas and I loved science. So I, I took a microbiology class my first term and I thought, you know, I really want to keep doing chemistry, um, calculus. And, uh, so it was like sort of an excuse to keep going on that track with those courses. And about halfway through, I, um, yeah, I just realized I kind of I wasn't really with my people, like I hadn't really found the conversation um, that I wanted to have in the same way as I had in the arts. And I also knew that I couldn't stop making art. That was like kind of the turning point was, um, yeah, I like I could, I could see setting science and math aside for a moment, but setting art aside just didn't feel like an option. Um, so that was kind of the shift. <laughs> I'm wondering, do you find that your true knowledge and ability in the sciences informs your artwork? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think just like this, I, I think this idea of investigating and um, trying to solve problems is kind of common in a lot of fields, this like sort of curiosity around trying to discover. And um, yeah, I mean, I look at making a painting as solving a problem in a lot of ways. You're kind of trying to respond to things that you haven't seen and um, trying to discover something new. Um, and there's a lot of magic and like um, kind of engagement in um, that process. So, uh, yeah, I think they, they feed kind of similar desires. <laughs> you know, that's really awesome. Let's dive into that a little bit more. Um, when you approach the canvas, you need to solve a problem. Where does that stem from? As in, uh, was it something that you witnessed or experienced? And um, is it coming from a personal narrative? Yeah, I mean, I think, I guess when I was talking about solving a problem, I was thinking more um, visual, like visual, um, visual content than psychological content. But I guess like anytime you're working through an image, yeah, you're trying to figure things out for yourself personally, probably, and also in terms of what you're seeing in the world. Um, but yeah, the, I guess the images always start with a gesture and interaction between people, and then I tend to build the spaces around them as I, wor I work pretty responsibly. So yeah, the problem solving happens when I'm really thinking about color and form and how to move your eyes through the space. So Jacqueline, what is it about a human gesture that you observe which makes it so intriguing and canvas worthy? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's um, a lot in the unsaid and the kind of um, the energy that's sort of like sitting under the surface of interactions, um, the uh, motivation behind behavior and physical movement and glances and um, the way people behave in a group or in a room. Um, I, I just, yeah, I find that so fascinating. It's nice in New York because we're surrounded by people all the time, so there's so much to be aware of. And um, yeah, I think it's just really fun to think about um, how people carry themselves and, and how that might shift depending on their surroundings or their company. So in diving more into your work, there's a few different themes. Um, one is your use of flat space. The figures seem to be um, free and untethered in it. And um, you have variations even in proportionality. Uh, so some of the works I've seen, it feels like a, a life-size figure. 
but then there's a much bigger head or, or maybe it's a small head with more outsized hands. And so um, just talk through that with us, um, you know, as you're thinking of solving that visual problem, like um, what's in your mind, what dictates that, what, what drives it for you? Sure. Um, for the larger work, I've always liked for the figures to be close to life scale so that you could feel almost as if you might enter the work. Um, but the, the larger scale shifts and the flatness, I feel like, happen in response to a kind of headspace I'm thinking about. So not just these figures in the space, but like what might be happening psychologically for them and this kind of echoing or um, amplifying of that. Um, so I think uh, that those shifts happen primarily as a way to kind of move move you visually through the image, but also to kind of get into that psychological space. Oh, that's so great. Um, you know, your work is also this sort of, uh, has rather this sense of minimalism. Um, like the, the color palette is pretty narrow in some of your work. I mean, it's like monochromatic or maybe even two, two tone, two colors. So let's talk about that, but also in terms of how you do your figuration, it's almost like you've worked out the smallest number of lines you need to use in order to represent rather significant, rather large or big human emotion, gestures, and what's going on in people's heads. Yeah, um, yeah, I started kind of, um... I think like originally I had done a lot of photography in my own practice and, and worked from photographs as reference points and a few years ago I just kind of made the shift where I decided I wanted to um, really just kind of be free from a reference point and work from what the images I was seeing in my mind um, or, or something related to something I've seen but not directly from it. And so, um, yeah, I began kind of making sketches and trying to find the most economical way of describing these gestures or these expressions. And yeah, these characters sort of came out of that investigation. And um, yeah, the palette has been really fun to play with because color is like one of my favorite things to work with. But um, sometimes I find it, you know, just coming back to this idea of problem solving, it's nice to take something that you feel like you do really well and sort of tie your hand behind your back and try to limit or kind of pull away and create a new structure. Um, so that's been nice just for kind of bumping up against um, forcing myself to look at the imagery in a different way. And, um, and you know, I mean, color sets atmosphere and tone and mood in such specific ways. So it's nice to kind of just be a little bit more dramatic or direct um, with those choices. So your figures don't have mouths. Right. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but yeah, I find that like without the mouths, other features become more prominent and um, like we've talked about the noses and the eyes and um, certain, yeah, certain features just get kind of exaggerated or repeated in a way where they just become this form or shape. Um, so yeah, I guess, I don't know. I like playing with this idea of the figures having um, very psychologically charged elements, but also just being forms and flat surfaces and color. And um, yeah, so I like when they sort of shift between the two. When you say not having a mouth kind of gives you this freedom because the mouth and its orientation is one of the ways we interpret emotion. Um, the eyes, of course, are another big way. But by not showing that, um, you know, we kind of don't know, are they smiling, are they not smiling? So it almost forces us to think of it as 
they are these really pensive figures. We have to get into their headspace. Have to understand what they're thinking. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I do. I definitely think of them as um, observers and um, as, um, I guess, yeah. I don't. I'm just thinking about this word pensive. But yeah, I think I think of them as thoughtful and engaged and uh, searching. And yeah, I, I suppose that ha- having a lack of a mouth allows you to kind of investigate the looking a little bit more than the, yeah, the speaking or the emo- emoting. So would you even say that they are internal observers as much as they are external? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of the moments that I'm depicting are um, intimate and uh, they're external in that they're physically surrounded by others or spaces, but they're definitely internal in terms of the psychological bend, yeah. You know, those are two things that I've seen in the work that uh, the figures either match with another figure or they're interacting with some geometric object or some architectural object. Um, What brings you to those two or or how do you think about those? Is there a different sense when the figure is grappling with, um, sorry, when what the figure is grappling with is another figure or if it's a geometric object, is there something to that is does it make it more internal um i'm just trying to get a sense of that um i guess like even when i'm painting objects or spaces i i think i'm often drawn to spaces or objects that um behave like bodies um so yeah it might be more of an in uh an uh, an internalized experience that we're observing because there's no actual other being to bump up against but um I don't know. I guess I, I guess I, I like looking at objects that behave like um, a figure in the room. Yeah. Um, well, there was a, a red one, and it almost looked like there was a, a giant wall in this work, uh, right in the middle of it. Uh, you know, and the figure is just trying to to get around it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess like I do think of all of the figures as trying to exit the space in some way to figure out how to navigate a new environment that they're maybe not familiar with. And um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think I think that all all of those moments are personal, like it's just this kind of way of figuring out how they sit in the room. You know, you said something very intriguing just now. Every figure is trying to exit the space. Oh yeah, you know, so I, I don't know, I mean, I feel like the frame of a canvas is this, you know, it's flat space and the figures are kind of pushing, pulling between trying to, um, you know, exist as three-dimensional illusions <laughs> or, you know, kind of sitting back on the surface. Um, and they're also trying to figure out how they exist in the world, right, and how they want to interact with people. So. I do, yeah, I do feel a lot of times like, yeah, it's like, how do I navigate this environment and um, what's the exit strategy? How do, if I wanted to leave, is there a route? And I feel like there's kind of a searching there for how to engage, but also how to remove yourself. So would that suggest that the figures you are drawing or creating or painting are uncomfortable? Oh yeah, definitely. I think there's discomfort and um, unknowing. there's sometimes contentment, um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of unease, I think, in their positions and usually um, a little bit outside of what we would typically see, like slightly exaggerated or absurd 
in some way. You know, long ago, and uh, this was either in a video or in an interview where um, you actually referred to your figures as archetypes. Um, and I'm just wondering, given your background, having grown up in an actor household, are those like Joseph Campbell type archetypes? Yeah, I know. I was thinking about that. I, I've always thought of them as archetypes, even from like the very beginning in college years when I started. Um, yeah, when I started painting people, I always wanted to think of them as these figures that were playing out roles in a very mannered way. And I, I never really thought of them as a particular character like you would read in a book. But um, yeah, like we talked about this idea of the person who's observing or um, being more active in the scene or um, uh, somebody who is trying to hurt or help, like depending on, yeah, their gesture. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think that still holds. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I think there's like maybe a male or female role that plays out, but that's like the most distinction in terms of their specific characteristics. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about technique and choice of material. So I know you've done work on cloth, and on linen. Um, let's just walk through um, where some works uh, I, I've observed are neither of those. They're actually this kind of like mesh material. So what's driving those decisions? Right, it's like athletic mesh. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah, so for a long time I was working on a pretty like heavily gessoed or primed surface. And I was making still very thin paintings, but using that white as sort of like the lightest point. And so I was kind of working almost like a watercolor on a large scale. Um, and then at a certain point I started like really investigating texture in painting and color in a very deep way. Um, and, you know, I think I had a friend over in the studio who said, it feels like you're really kind of investigating material. And I had at that point shift to working on raw canvas and um, doing some collage. And um, anyways, yeah, so I started, I started sourcing fabric as a way to have just a different starting point in the painting and um, to think about bumping up against a new color or a new surface and just to see what that might do to the way that I was painting. And um, it's been pretty amazing just in terms of kind of generating new material, yeah, um, in terms of imagery and also like the way that the color adheres to the surface. Um, and so it's just like another fun kind of challenge to bump up against. Like I'll make two paintings with the same palette, but they behave completely differently just because of the way they interact with the color of the fabric or the texture. Um, yeah, you know, I loved that uh, verb phrase you used, bumping up. Uh, so you said they'll, they'll behave differently. Is that part of the visual problem that you're looking to solve? I mean, it's definitely one that I enjoy playing with. Yeah, is this idea of like allowing for materials to behave in new ways and to, I mean, I think a lot of times as an artist, you're kind of working in a similar format or structure, but you're looking for a new direction and yeah like kind of questions of material can can prompt yeah just like a completely different way of thinking and i'm wondering are there any conclusions in that as in i really love the mesh for this type of work and i prefer linen for other types of work um, is that a decision tree that you grapple with before you approach your concept or are you just playing around 
as if you're kind of in a sandbox or a laboratory. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I think like uh, art, like artists work in a lot of different ways, but for me, chance is a really important part of the pleasure in the process. And um, so as many opportunities as I can find to create a moment of unknowing and discovery, um, that's sort of what I always hope for. I feel like that's the most exciting part. Um, so yeah, I mean, I will discover things and go, oh, I really want to try that again, but maybe in a different color or a different material. Um, but a lot of times I'm just hoping for something completely different than what I've experienced before. And as you're going through these processes, do you reject certain approaches and then throw out the canvas? You know, unfortunately, I'm not good at throwing out so much, but <laughs> I um, will often work over things. Um, there's, a there's a lot less um, elasticity or flexibility in my current process because I'm working on a raw material surface. Um, so everything shows up, like there's, it's just less forgiving. But um, I also really love that element because everything shows, right? And that can be interesting. So, um, so yeah, I really, I really kind of enjoy the immediacy of working on a raw surface and the kind of lack of forgiveness that comes with that. Changing topics a little bit, um, you went straight from undergrad to an MFA, um, which is a fairly atypical process. And also a very challenging feat to achieve. And so congratulations on that. But uh, share with us, um, what decisions led to that uh, transpiring? Um, so yeah, I was at UCLA for all of my undergraduate years. And around my senior year, I started thinking about graduate school. I knew that I wanted to teach. And so that was a real driving force. And I also knew that I didn't want to stop making art. I knew that I wanted to continue making and investigating, and I was a real school nerd. I love, I love, um, I had some amazing faculty, and um, I just wanted to keep the conversation going and be part of a community of artists. And um, yeah, so I was very lucky. I applied, and I got into all my favorite schools, and I, I felt like it was really important to um, be part of a larger context of artists. And also, because I had been in LA, going to New York was a really amazing shift. The East Coast conversation was actually quite distinct from the West Coast in relation to painting and making, and I was really excited to investigate that. You know, I'd love to just dive into that a little bit more, the distinction between the East Coast and the West Coast conversation. So what I noticed when I moved from Los Angeles to New York, um, was that first of all, I was painting a lot of pools in LA, which when I came to New York seemed very unnatural to most because it just like wasn't part of the landscape here in the same way. Um, but in terms of like the kind of broader spectrum of what I saw in art, I felt like New York artists were very much steeped in the history of New York painting and abstract expressionism and um, there were like kind of uh, movements and schools of thinking around what a painting should look like in, a more dramatic way than I had experienced in LA. I felt like LA artists were a little bit more idiosyncratic and um, uh, yeah, just spread out in the way they were thinking about uh, making. And I had come from a school um, of faculty that were trained from kind of like the CalArts mentality of like idea first, choose your medium based on whatever's going to kind of achieve that concept. And um, yeah, I just felt like the kind of like painting contingency here was really strong and um, very specific in the way they were thinking about like, yes, no, what can be, what should exist. Um, now that I've been here a little bit longer, I find that that conversation is more diverse um, than I noticed when I first moved. 
Um, but I think I just hadn't, yeah, I hadn't, that was like my initial uh, response. So do you feel like a New Yorker now? Oh gosh, I still feel very much California root, rooted, especially every winter. But, <laughs> um, but I, I do feel really connected to the conversation here and I feel connected to the way that artists exist in this place. I feel like there's um, a rigor. Uh, I mean, it, it's happening in LA as well. I think there's great art in a lot of places, but, um, but I do feel really excited about the, I feel like sort of stubbornness artists have here around a, a kind of work ethic and, um, and a constant making and, um, and talking and like the sort of intellectual end is pretty um, robust. I'd love to talk about some of the people who have influenced you. In terms of artists that I look at um, on a regular basis, um, I mean, I spend a lot of time at museums because I, I teach at, at a lot of museums, and I end up looking at Gober and Gustin quite a bit. I think like artists who engage with body, Balthus has always been a favorite, um, Rosemary Trackle, like people who are engaging with body, but also like the psychology around that. Um, uh, Jenny Holzer is a favorite. I know that's sort of a wild card, but I, I love the kind of content that she brings to the work. Um, Kara Walker here, too. You know, it's interesting you mentioned uh, Kara Walker, and I didn't make that connection before, but it's absolutely right. I mean, she also goes for high minimalist approach, yet there's also so much psychological content in her work. I think that it was definitely our point of connection, yeah. Um, and there's like, I feel like a whole history of Chagall did Firebird, which I saw recently. So yeah, I've been, I've been really interested lately in thinking about artists who are kind of either making costume or using sets or just, again, like this idea of bumping up against new territory. Did you see the Chagall exhibit at that? Yeah, so incredible, right? I love those costumes, yeah. yeah. So, well, in, in terms of other media, I know you've done some sculptural work. Have you explored others? I've built some of my own sculptures, and so that's like kind of the closest I've gotten lately to kind of built space. And then um, these wall paintings have been getting me closer to this idea of like kind of building a set or environment. I did a few um, scenic backdrops for my father's last two um, one-man shows been performing. Um, there's one based on Orwell and another, um, well, coming up. Uh, well, the most recent was based on Dostoevsky. So anyways, I've been, yeah, I've been thinking about collaborating, but uh, nothing on a large scale at this point. Yeah. So uh, I know that you're teaching more and you said that you knew you wanted to be a teacher. Uh, in fact, you mentioned how you were teaching in your last year at UCLA. Um, how important is teaching to you and, and does it inform your work? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing I love most about teaching is, well, there are two elements. There's the research, right, and really engaging with ideas that I'm thinking about in the studio, but not quite as con concretely. Um, and then there's the social aspect of actually interacting with a new generation of artists and um, figuring out what people are looking at or what they're excited about. and. Um, help, yeah, helping people to kind of find a way to voice those ideas, and um, yeah, I find I find it I feel very lucky, yeah, to be able to engage in that way, and um, and I feel like whether it was a financial issue or not, I I would like to be engaged in that conversation daily. So um, it's nice that I get paid to do it, <laughs> um, but I uh, 
Yeah, I mean, I feel I feel very strongly. I mean, I I feel like I come from a background of schooling where um, ideas are essential to making, and whether you're thinking about them during the process or after or before, um, this idea of kind of like self-reflecting and um, creating a context around the work um, so that it doesn't just exist in a vacuum has um, always been pretty engaging for me. Yeah. Jacqueline, can you describe a low point for me? For me, like I, I really like making when I'm in a good headspace. When I'm when I'm not, doesn't yeah, it just doesn't always jive with the practice. So, um, I mean, yeah, there have certainly been times where I just didn't feel like I was set up to be in the studio um, mentally. Yeah, but I um, I do feel like also the making is what kind of takes you out of that headspace. So it's one of those, yeah, weird um, conflicts. By the way, did you have a chance to see the uh, Louise Bonet show? Yes, you know, and I meant to talk to you about that because um, let's just talking about, so when I saw that in your notes, I thought, yeah, there's really um, a, a whole contingency of artists right now that are thinking about in this, I feel like in the tradition of the surrealists actually like thinking about how body can engage um, the space in a much more exaggerated way than we might typically see. So her nose, as I realized when I went to the show, I feel like become even like even maybe more sexualized than I had realized in previous um, iterations of her work. I don't know if that's something I haven't spoken to her and I have no idea if that's something she's thinking about, but I was also thinking about Ellen Birkenbelt and those like kind of witchy figures and yeah, just like how many artists are thinking about the body as a way to generate psychological content, right? And I think Gober does that in his sculpture and I think like Rosemary Trockel I mentioned does that as well. And, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I love her work and I love the drawings and I like that the paintings and drawings behave in slightly different ways. Like the drawings are a little bit more quiet and the paintings are, I felt like a little bit more garish in color and content um, in, a, in a really intriguing way. I feel like just what's happening around figuration right now is really thrilling in terms of just that, like these kind of um, moments of uh, body bumping up against psychology and space and this kind of like darkness around atmosphere. Achieve is recorded at Subtractive in Hangar 8 at the Santa Monica Airport. Music is produced by Hennedy.